Our scripture this morning is found in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you just thankful this morning. Uh, thankful for who you are. Lord, forgive us when we don't trust you. Forgive us when we rely more on our knowledge than yours. Lord, help us today, we ask. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, that we may understand your precepts, that we may accept your precepts, Lord, that we would uh, delight in your law. Lord, we ask for forgiveness when we don't. Lord, we expect to see you today, and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, always glad to see everyone here when we're here on Sunday mornings. Uh, real quick, before we get into the message for today, I just want to uh, convey how excited I am about the season that our young church is about to enter into because the reality is that there was a massive effort that was undertaken by a very small group of people to get us into this building when we got into this building. And the truth is that once we ramped up into launching Sunday morning services, we were tired, tired exhausted. I think we were more tired than we realized in, in hindsight. And so we've needed the past 12 weeks to, to recharge our batteries. Uh, I, at one time I thought, oh, just four weeks, we'll be good to go. No, it's actually taking a little bit longer. Um, and not only that, it took a little bit longer because we also need to get a little bit of structure in place. Uh, churches requires organization and it's, a, it's processes and systems. And there's certain things we didn't know and we're trying to figure out you know, with children's ministry and tech team and everything. Well, here we go. So there's some things in place. We're good to go. We're solid there and are we recharged our batteries. And now 
It's time to get to the real work, the good work. The reason that God planted Anthem Church in Anger, you know, he gave us a mission. And it's to fill this town and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. So now what we're going to do individually and collectively together, we're going to lean forward. We're going to lean into this mission that God has given us. So this, this past week, I had this wonderful privilege to go to Anger Elementary and present before the staff there, talk to the teachers and the admin folks, and, and I took some cookies and some water to their staff meeting and just started sharing how our church basically wants to adopt that school and be a blessing there. We want to do that at all our local schools, but, you know, we're small, so we're going to start there, and eventually we'll go to other, other schools, but, you know, we want to be there all the time to be an encouragement to the teachers because that's, that's some hard work. You know your kids. <laughs> right? That's some hard work. So we want to encourage the teachers. And, and also that, you know, we want to mentor kids. So we want to go there during the school day and mentor some children. We want to do some proctoring there uh, during the, the, the standardized testing that has to take place. Adults have to go and, and proctor staying in the room. And, and I kid you not, I genuinely believe for a second I was going to get a standing ovation. And, and I, it, they were so glad to, to hear that there's a church that wants to come alongside and serve them as they serve our children. So I got an email or actually a phone call the next day asking, can you please send some proctors? And if you don't know what that is, you know, during the standardized testing, adults have to be in a room just to make sure that all the, the rules are, are abided by. And you don't do anything other than just you're in the room. So it's easy. It's an easy way to be a blessing in the community, it's much, much needed. So they need people Tuesday, they need people Wednesday, they need people Thursday, they need people Friday. So we lean forward into our mission. If you can, if you have time during the week, we've got a sign-up sheet at our info table, and just sign up there. And let us know if in any way you could help out this week, because they need to help. All right, so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about Saturday, March 8th. This is good. You ready? This is good stuff. You know, most of you know that once a month, second Sunday of each month, we do a, a lunch, a fellowship lunch, right, in our fellowship hall on the other side of that wall. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful time. I love it because we're, we're enjoying community. We're trying to build our church family. We have to spend some time in, with each other, and, and so I think that's helpful. All right, but what we're going to do in March is use that that we do anyway as an opportunity to invite others so on Saturday, March 8th, 1 p.m., we're going to meet here. We're going to get into teams with some cookies, some church information, an invitation to our church lunch, and start going home to home to the houses particularly close to our church building, right? And let them know, hey, we're doing a lunch. Just, you don't even have to come to church service. Just come to the lunch. And if they come to church service, great. But we want to be a blessing to them. Just invite them to the meal. If, if God opens a door, we'll share the gospel. If, if uh, we have an opportunity to say, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? If they share, we'll pray for them there. Or we'll write it down, pray for it later. Or maybe if, if it's someone that needs help where the church can go in there and build something or demo something or take down a tree, whatever they may need, maybe we can do, do that and be a blessing to them. The, the thing is, 
I don't ever, and I don't think the, the group that we planted this church with ever wants to get into a situation where we're just playing church, where it's just come to Sunday and it's all nice and then we leave and that's it. Like I don't want to be a come in here kind of church. I want to be a go and tell kind of church, which I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus said to do. He's like go out, go and tell, go make disciples. So it begins with outreach. And again, it's not we're going to beat anyone upside the head with a Bible verse. Or anything. It's like, hey, we're right there. We just started. Is there any way that we can bless you with or how we can bless you can you can you come to a lunch is that cool you want to come to church no that's okay how can we pray for you uh, i don't know well is there anything you need cut down that bush excellent we'll be here next week so our job our mission is to impact this community with the love of jesus and let the chips fall where they may and whoever comes comes and now the church grows grows whatever that jesus is the one that builds his church our mission is to lean forward into that which we've been called to do can i get an amen All right, thank you very much. I needed that affirmation this morning. All right, here we are. We are literally midway through a very long sermon series that we've entitled Freedom. And during this series, we are going through different spiritual disciplines, what they are. Uh, They're they're tools. They are gifts from God, such as worship and prayer, giving, Bible study, Bible meditation, enjoying Christian community, and uh, what else, serving. There's a bunch of them. Those are the six we're covering during the series. And the whole premise of this, the reason we're doing this series, the reason it's entitled Freedom, is because we want individuals to enjoy freedom. And I'm talking about spiritual freedom. And what I mean by that is that we desire for everyone to enjoy true hope, like real peace, like sincere, genuine joy in their lives. We want folks to actually be happy, to be blessed, like for, for their soul to actually smile. And I'm certain that that's what everyone wants. Amen. Thank you so much. All right, here we go. All right, I'm certain that's what everyone wants. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, we start looking for those things in the wrong places, or we look for it in the wrong way. So here comes our sinful desires. Our, here comes our self-centeredness, our selfishness. Here comes our worldly pursuits. And then, and then surely that'll give us joy. That'll give us freedom. That'll give us hope. That'll give us peace. And it fails every single time because the, the, our sinful desires and our selfishness and the things of the world cannot satisfy our soul. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy our soul, can make our soul smile. And that's it. And so anything other than that is actually a prison, like looking to the things of the world, looking to selfish desires, looking to sinful desires. It's a prison. It's a snare. It never delivers on what it supposedly promises. So we want folks to find their peace, their hope, their joy in Jesus. And it's not only that Jesus provides our freedom, Jesus is our freedom. It's not something that he gives. It's found in him. And so we want people to lean forward and to like fall into, to immerse themselves into this person that we've been singing about this morning, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our crucified Savior, our resurrected Savior, our ascended into heaven Savior, our coming back one day to take us home Savior, right? Amen. So thank you so much. So with that, we're, we're going to pursue 
this spiritual discipline, specifically this morning, about Bible study or Bible reading, Bible meditation. Um, and, and the reason we have to do that, the reason we have to pursue these spiritual disciplines is because this, this joy, this peace, this, this um, hope that we want, this happiness, this blessed life, this freedom in Christ only takes place through three means. And it's in this order-ish. Number one, you cannot experience freedom in Jesus apart from Jesus. So step number one, there has to be a moment where we embrace the gospel and we are embraced by the gospel. I, I like to always say that we hug it into our soul. That we, we just grab onto it. We latch on to Jesus. We are, we are freed from sin, from the power of sin, from the entanglements of sin, from its tyranny over us, from the consequences, the eternal consequences of sin. When we, by, by God's grace, put our faith in the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, return of Jesus, we are set free. So there has to be that moment where we're initially freed from all of that by God's grace where we succumb to the lordship of Jesus. After that, all right, so he secures our freedom. The way that we safeguard, the way we enjoy that freedom day to day is by adopting these spiritual disciplines. So the worship and the singing and the, the Bible reading and the prayer, like that's a way that we safeguard it, that we get to enjoy the freedom that Jesus already secured from us. So an, exa- an illustration we used uh, a few weeks ago is that, you know, we're in a prison, right? And Jesus comes, and he unlocks the door, he slides it out, right? He slides the door open, so we're free. We can walk out of the prison. When we don't practice the spiritual disciplines, we literally walk right back in and sit down. So we're free, but we're not experiencing the freedom because we're not leaning into, we're not pressing into the freedom that Jesus has secured for us. All right, so we have to adopt these things. And the third thing we have to do is this. We have to actually understand why we do the spiritual discipline. So why do we pray and why do we do the Bible study? And I did say, well, so that we can enjoy the freedom. But to further explain that is if we're not careful, we start checking them off. I guess I got to read my Bible now. I guess, I, uh, well, I, I need my prayer. I got five minutes between this appointment and this appointment. Check. Right. And we don't want anyone to fall into that trap because even if you can pull it off for a while, it's not sustainable. And you won't reap the benefit from just doing it that way. So you have to understand the purpose of these spiritual disciplines. And the purpose is grace and glory. The purpose of in, uh, installing the spiritual disciplines into your life is to experience what you need, grace, so that you can give God what he deserves, glory. That's it. Like, that's the purpose of human existence. Receive what we need from God so that we may live for his glory. That's the very purpose of the spiritual disciplines, to receive grace from God, daily grace, and I'll explain that a little bit later what I mean by that, so that we may live that free life, the hope, love, and joy, the peace, all of that in Christ. That's freedom. Does that make sense? All right, so we're turning specifically to the spiritual discipline of Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, all right? And, and what I love about this one, and this one gets into my wheelhouse, like, you know, all preachers, pastors, etc. there's like, they have their thing. This is one of those that are my, like, when we talk about Bible, I get particularly excited. Like, I love 
love, love the Bible. I love it. I, I can't tell you how much I love it. I'm just telling you I love it a lot. Like, I love reading it, thinking about it, understanding it better. I don't know much about it. I want to know more. I love it. So we're getting into that. And so if you haven't done so, please turn to Psalm 19. And so the book of Psalms, it's right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Um, Job is on one side. Proverbs is on the other. Looking at Psalm 19. It's right after Psalm 18, right before Psalm 20. My, uh, I do have a master's degree in divinity, so that's how I know such, such mysteries. And what we're going to see here in this psalm is, is simply this, how crucial, how absolutely necessary it is for us to spend time in God's Word. Like, like, we can't really function without it. Like, we can't enjoy the freedom that Christ has secured for us apart from the Word of God. Like, if we're going to relish in this beautiful grace that God has freely given to us, if we're going to live fully for the glory of God, we have to immerse ourselves in the study of God's Word. All right? Let's just jump right in. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling or the heavens are declaring the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So there, the word heavens means the skies. And it it goes beyond our beautiful, beautiful Carolina blue skies. It's more than that. It goes above and beyond our beautiful Carolina blue skies, right? It's talking about the expanse of everything from there and on until, until it ends, if it ever ends, right? It's talking about everything. It's talking about the expanse of space, the, the cosmos, and everything that is in it. So it's talking about moons and planets and meteors, and asteroids, and comets, and stars, and nebulas, and black holes, and quasars, everything that is out there, all of that is doing what? Declaring the glory of God. And it's not out there by accident. This is, this is what's crazy to me. It didn't happen by some random chance or anything. God did it himself intentionally with a purpose, right? It wasn't so much a big bang as it was a big boom, right? When he said, let it be, and his voice thundered out, and his voice thundered into nothing, and nothing obeyed God, and nothing became something, and he took something, and he hung it on nothing. That's the universe, right? So that's God, what he did. And so everything out there right now is screaming God. And it's not simply like forensic evidence of the existence of God. It's pointing to the majestic God. It's pointing to the the glory, the splendor of God. So they are declaring the glory of God. And what glory means, it means splendor. It means honor. It means worth. Trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars floating hanging in the, the vastness of the cosmos. Every single one of them, every single one of them saying, look at the beauty of God. Everything in existence beckoned us 
not just to admit that there's a God, but to actually see past that and wonder how much more brilliant, how much more beautiful, how powerful is our God that he created all of that like that. Everything declaring, declaring the very glory of God out there all the time, continuously, without end, without stopping. I personally love stargazing. It's just one of the things I do. I, I've always gone back on the back deck at the house or the, or the patio. Or if I'm at the beach at night, I go out to the beach and I purposely will recline back in the chair or lay down and just look at the stars. There, there are a few things for me that, that allow me to get lost in the wonder and the spectacle of God than sitting there like trying to count them or trying to, which constellation is where. Like, it, 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 I've always been like, like, I, like I, I want to one day actually have a telescope to where I can uh, be with the children and go out and look at the at stars or, or whatever's out there. Um, so that's always been me. And, and 12 years ago, I got to go to Hawaii. Went with some friends because I had a friend that lived in Hawaii, the real Hawaii, which is the southernmost island, which is the one that's actually called Hawaii. And it's the least commercial of the islands. So, you know, it's out in the middle of the ocean. It's the southernmost, you know, and, and then it's, it's the least lights and stuff. And we're on the southern part of the island because we got to go visit the volcano, and that was cool. And it got really late, and so I'm driving, and my friends are asleep in the car. And you're going through mountains, and this means it's just a canopy of, like, trees, right? It's lush. And it's beautiful. And you're driving and driving and kind of winding around the mountains. And then I came around. I remember it's a right turn on the backside of the mountain where everything cleared. Like, that was the last mountain. Like, everything sheared down into a plateau toward the ocean. And it was pitch darkness, and I slammed on the brakes. I have never seen what I saw. Like, I've known all my life that there are trillions upon trillions of stars. I actually think I saw them all that night. Like, my, my friends, I don't think they even know to this day what I did. They were zonked out. I pulled over. I mean, there wasn't much room. It was on a cliff, and I stood out in the middle of the road, and I just sat there. And the weight of the moment drove me to my knees. And it wasn't the brilliance or, the, or the, the beauty of that night sky. It was the brilliance and the beauty of the one who created that night sky. The heavens declare the worth, the magnificence, the resplendence, the magnificence of our creator. And what's amazing is that they do it silently. So look at verse 2 and 3. Day to day pour forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. So day to day, daytime, night to night, nighttime, the sun during the day, everything else at night, all of it, unceasingly worshiping God, declaring God, praising God, all of it, all the time, without a single word. And here's what I find amazing, that it's just simply by their very existence that they give witness to the magnificence of God, right? That it's simply by them doing what they're supposed to be doing that they are a testimony of the wonder and the spectacle of God. So everything that is up there, everything that is out there, all of it is evangelizing the universe about God. 
and it doesn't utter a single word, right? Silently proclaiming the greatness, the goodness of, of God all the time. And we're not going to go by verse by verse, but verse 4, 5, and 6, what, it, what those verses tell us, it, it just piles on. It, it, it actually uses the sun primarily as an example. It's heat and, and it's brilliance and everything. Right? It's using it as an illustration of, the, of, what, of a bigger light, of a bigger radiance, of a bigger glory, the sun. So all of it out there, constantly declaring, doing it without words, doing it without ceasing, constantly all the time. And, and here we are, we're reading Psalm 19, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and, and, and we're lost in the infinitude, like this magnificence of who God is. We're lost in the glory glory of God and here comes verse 7 and the psalmist the writer of the psalm King David he he shifts gears on us so abruptly here there's no transitional statement he needs a gram he needs a, a writing lesson right how to how to write properly so people can flow with you and understand where you're going so here he's he's completely caught up in the spectacle of God's glory as displayed by the heavens and then all of a sudden verses 7 and so forth the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And my question is, why in the world would King David so abruptly go from the heavens declare the glory of God to the Bible? Why would he shift lanes on us without putting on a turn signal, Right? Space, cosmos, the word of God. And I think it's for this very reason. Because as awesome as stars, moons, and nebulas, and quasars, and black holes are, as much as they point to the majesty of God, they do not hold a candle to what Scripture does. Scripture knocks the heavens down in regards to how much glory of God is revealed. Did you follow that? Like, if we get so hung up on the expanse of the universe and we're wowed by it, and oh my God, literally, right? Then Scripture does that even more, and here's why. Because while the heavens declare the glory, they tell us about the power of God, Scripture actually reveals the heart of God. And, here's that, and there, there it is right there. Like, why should we care about reading the Bible? Why, why should we prioritize it? Why does this matter so much? Because in the very Bible, as we're reading the Bible, God is exposing his heart. He's exposing the glory of his grace to us. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was just this past week. I was watching TV, and I saw an interview, and a lady was complaining that she wanted Bibles out of a hotel room. And the reason she says she wants Bibles out of hotel rooms is because the Bible's offensive to her. And the reason that the Bible's offensive to her is because the Bible is all about judgment, and it's all about death, and it's all about uh, demeaning or devaluing human life. And I kid you not, I, I heard that, and, and I was like, wow, and I prayed for her. Because when I read the Bible, I get the complete opposite. 
Like when I read the Bible, I, yes, there's judgment, but God offers mercy, right? And yes, there's death, but God offers eternal life. Yeah? Right? And yes, it's true that mankind demeans or devalues mankind. But you know who values man more than anyone? The Lord God Almighty, right? He made us in his image. He made us in his image and his likeness. And when we sinned and it got marred and it got tarnished, it got marnished, when, when, when that happened, God didn't give up on us. He sent his son and Jesus comes back and that's the reason he died for us. To restore the image in which we were created so that we may reflect the glory of God. Right? Okay, so as we read the Bible, that's what I get. Like, that's the heart of God. That's what I see. That's what I hear. Uh, it's, to me, the book is nothing more but the story of the glory of the grace of God. And grace is, folks, well, it's, it's what we need. It's what we so desperately need. And, and all grace is grace. And, and I don't like to compartmentalize and, and break it up too much. But just to make a point, there's, let's call them two types of grace. And we both need, all, all of us need both kinds of grace, if there's such a thing. But anyway, just for the sake of my point here. All right, we need salvific grace or saving grace. That's the grace that comes the moment of our conversion. That's the moment that comes when we're born again. That's the moment that we become a follower of Jesus. So that's the moment that God lifts the scales from our eyes and we see for the first time. We really hear the gospel for the first time and we repent of our sin and we give our lives over to Jesus and grace just floods into us and turns us into a new person, right? So that's saving grace. We all desperately need that. That's the grace that sets us free. And we need, after that, every day, day, excuse me, daily grace. Because left on my own, I will go back into that prison cell and sit down. I need God's daily grace on me, around me, in me, helping me to enjoy the freedom that Jesus has already secured for me. Okay? And one of the ways that God bestows this daily grace to us is by us reading the Bible and him sharing his heart with us as we read his word. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's the importance of why we need to read the Bible, meditate on it, ponder it, saturate in it, marinate in it, right? We want to marinate in Scripture. What, what happens to a piece of meat when it marinates? It takes on the flavor of the marinade, right? And hopefully, if it's a good marinade, it gets down into the meat. Because you just don't want it on the surface. You want it all up in it, right? Well, that's, that's what we want. Like, we want, we want to marinate and soak in God's Word in such a way that it's not just on the surface, but it penetrates in. Right? We want, we want to take on the flavor of God's goodness. It's what we want to do. And that's why we, we, we need God's grace moment to moment in our lives to make that a reality. And, and, and here's what happens. You read the Bible. You, you spend time in God's word. And he impresses his heart into yours. And it changes your heart. And, and as you read the Bible, what, what's happening is that you're trained and you're equipped to deal with life in this world. You're comforted and you're consoled in your moments of crisis. Not if, but 
when the crisis comes, right? It, it illumines your eyes. It, it raises your countenance. It lifts your spirit. And, and really what God is doing, he's just exposing us to the glory of his grace as we read the Bible. And, and the truth, the two, the two things that happen when we read the Bible is this. We increase in joy and God is glorified. And the two are not in opposition to one another. The two are not opposed. They're not uh, uh, mutually exclusive. The two actually go hand in hand. The more joy we have in God, the more he's glorified. The more we glorify God, the more joy we have. But it all begins by immersing ourselves in the grace of God, being exposed to the grace of God. Grace means favor. What we're asking is for God to be favorable to us, whether it's in that initial moment of salvation and in every moment of every day, say, God, please be favorable, be kind, be, be gracious toward me. Give me what I need that you receive what you deserve. And that's why we spend time in the Bible. So I just want to unpack some of these verses real quick and just talk about how wonderful God's word is and how it does reveal the glory of God and God's grace. So verse 7 tells us right there the law of the lord is perfect perfect means complete right it means without with without lacking of anything so it's everything that it should be so god's word is everything that it should be and what does it do it restores the soul god's word restores what that means is that it revives us here's what god's word does it educates our emotions this is what he's saying. It educates our emotions. What God's word does as we read it, it calms our anger. It relieves our fears. It soothes our anxieties. Right? It educates our very emotions. Have you ever, have you ever gone through a time where you were low, where it's, things are bad, the world hates you. The world is completely opposed to you. And you could not get any more distraught. And you opened up God's word. And it ministered to your heart in such a way that it lifted your spirit. Have you ever experienced that? Because what happens is, if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself in those moments and you go to God's word and you start reading, what happens is that God's heart comes and surrounds your heart in that moment. Because it's perfect. It's complete. It's lacking nothing. And it revives our very spirit. And then it says right after that, the testimony of the Lord is sure what that means is that the, the word of God is trustworthy. It is reliable. If we read it, study it, apply it, live it out, if we let it guide us, it will never lead us wrong. If we, won't, we won't make a misstep if we follow it. It's trustworthy. And if we follow it, it says it'll make us wise. And just so that you know that in the Bible, wisdom doesn't refer to knowledge or not strictly, not only knowledge. What it refers to is knowledge that leads to godly living. Wisdom in the Bible is knowledge that produces godly living in our very lives. So in James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Who does that sound like? 
Sunday school answer? Jesus. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Where'd it go? Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. That's a description of Jesus. The heaven from above, that the wisdom from above is Jesus. So here's, here's the point. Like, as we read the Bible, follow it, trust it, it makes us more like Jesus. The biggest problem that people have, in my opinion, with the Bible is that they see it as a to-do list. When the Bible is more of a to-be list, it's like to be like Jesus. It, it, it helps us to be followers of Christ, and that's wisdom. And uh, folks, that's grace. Right? This is the daily grace that we need for God to come into our lives, into our hearts, and to conform us to the very image of Christ degree by degree, moment to moment, each and every day. That we be, what? Love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. That's grace. That's grace. All right, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart. The word precepts means principles. So the principles of God are right. Pay attention. We live in a world that does not believe in moral absolutes. This is our current environment. It's all about moral relativism. So what is good for you is good for you. What is good for me is good for me. There's no good or wrong. There's no bad or right. It's, it's, it's all good somehow. Even if they're completely different, and in opposition to one another, it's still all good somehow, which makes no sense, right? And it just doesn't work that way. There are moral tr- absolutes. There are absolute truths, and God's Word tells us what they are. Here's the neat thing. The precepts are right. The principles of God are absolute. They're right. And what do they do if we follow them? It tells us they make our hearts to do what? Rejoice. What? That is the complete opposite of what the world tells us. Like the world says, no, man, if you want joy, do your own thing. Do whatever you want. You don't need, you don't, you don't need to answer to anyone. You're your own boss. You ain't the boss of me. You know, whatever the case may be, right? That's what the world teaches. And clearly, if you do that, you find joy and peace and hope and freedom and goodness and happiness. And the reality is that none of that is true. It fails us every time. If we trust the word of God, we abide in it, we abide by it, it makes our hearts happy. Because that's what we were created for. Um, Imagine you got an eagle soaring around, and the eagle's like, I don't want to fly. I want to be a great white shark. We laugh, okay? And so the eagle's like, I don't care what I was made to do. I want to be free. So it plunges into the depths of the ocean. Two things will happen. Either that eagle will die, either because it drowned or it got eaten by the great white shark he wanted to be, or it'll repent, turn, come up, and embrace that which it was created to be. Folks, I, I wasn't even going to go here. Here's my tangent. Um, we have got our definitions of what freedom is really screwed up. We think that freedom, we think in terms of liberty, in philosophical circles, it's referred to libertarian freedom. 
I can do whatever I want, when I want, with whom I want, whatever I want, anytime, and I'm not accountable to anyone. I am free. Well, on earth, in certain circles, that may exist philosophically. But biblically and spiritually, that just is not the way it works. We were designed to soar, to be the eagle, right? And to not embrace that life and to want to be something else, what, what, what happens? We will drown in that or be eaten by it. So freedom is found in being what we're supposed to be. It's being the people we're supposed to be. Lovers of God, followers of Jesus, indwelt by the Spirit of God in his word, sharing the light of Christ in this world, hoping that one day we will be with him forever and ever by his grace because of what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's freedom because that's what was intended for us. Okay? So it's God's grace that allows us to, to live that life out. And then... Still there in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So God's word opens our eyes. It enlightens us. It opens us up so that we can see the world better, see ourselves better, see God better. It, it, It opens our eyes so that we can see what's in front of us. It opens our eyes so we can avoid the cliff and avoid bad decisions, right? That's grace. God conveys his grace to us when we read the Bible because it keeps us from harm. Next verse, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Fear is interesting. Um, I would say for a person who has not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, has succumbed to his Lordship, there needs to be a fear that drives them to the cross. But how does fear play into the life of a believer, someone who's already embraced the gospel? There is such a thing as good healthy, proper, reverent fear of God. As followers of Jesus, our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Our seat is, our, already has a name place on it at the table of Jesus in heaven. All right, it's secure. Okay, so God won't punish those that belong to him, but he sure will discipline us. All right? He's a loving father who does take us to the woodshed when we get out of line. And that's grace. It's a loving father who, who disciplines his children so that they mature and grow and stay out of trouble and do the right thing. That's grace. So here, the fear of the Lord, discipline, it's a good thing. It's grace. We need that every day because if you're anything like me, you're prone, very prone, to do the stuff that gets you in trouble. Here, graciously, God provides his word so we even stay out of trouble. Okay. Verse 10. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the, and the drippings of the honey comb. What's that saying about God's word? It's that scripture, the Bible, is better, more enjoyable, more valuable than everything else this world has to sell to you. All his teachings and all his philosophies the worldly stuff, the worldly pursuits, sinful desire, selfishness, doesn't compare with what this is and what it does for us. And why does it do that for us? It tells us in verse 11, 
Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. So, again, we're back to the warning thing. Like, when you read God's word, he, God is protecting us. He's not being some cosmic bully, some galactic party pooper, trying to keep us from having a good time. That's not God. He's trying to protect us from the chaos that we will onslaught on ourselves and, and in this world. So, very lovingly, graciously, God is providing. Don't do that. Don't go that way. That's not in your best interest. All right? And then it says, in doing them, there's great reward. The reward there is not talking about money. It's not talking about prosperity. It's not talking about that. God does bless, but that's not what it's referring to. Uh, what it's referring to, reward there, is the, the very presence of God in our lives. Like, in abiding in Scripture, we get to enjoy God's presence in, the, in our lives in, in a bigger way, a more manifested way, a more sincere way. Because what sin does, sin does get in the way of our relationship with God. The more sin is, the harder it is to connect with God. All right? So the less sin, the, the more like we're just living in obedience and listening to God. All right? So that's the great reward. It's God himself. Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is our portion. Jesus is our lot. Jesus is our freedom. Okay, now, let's summarize all of that. God's word reveals God's glory more than the galaxies. God's word is perfect, trustworthy, right, and pure. God's word revives our spirit, makes us wise, gives joy to our heart, opens our eyes, lights our path. God's word warns us. And if we keep it, there's reward. It's better than anything this world has to offer. Better, more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Do y'all believe that to be true? That was a good yes. I'm, I'm grateful for the yes. If, I'm, if I was sitting with you guys, I probably would hesitate to answer that question. Because I know the answer. But then I know the follow-up question. If I believe all that to be true, why do I neglect it so much? I, again, I'm, I don't know if it was this week. It was, I'm, pretty sure it's on the news like late breaking news at the bottom of the screen and it said uh report says there are more people reading facebook daily than reading the bible and it shocked me but it didn't shock me because it what shocked me wasn't the news it said it made the news because in, in for me i'm like well duh like i don't need a survey like it's it's apparent it's clear, not even in the world, I'm talking even among the church and supposed Christians, like, man, I, uh, we spend way more time on our Facebook feed than we do feeding on the Word of God. And, and I'm not Facebook bashing. I mean, it has its place. It, it you know, mindless entertainment for a little while. But the, the problem is, how much time are we devoting to that or to other things? Like inordinately so that it affects and negatively impacts how much time we actually spend in Scripture. Like our, what are we prioritizing in our schedule, in our day, in our week? If, if this is truly what it says that it is and we believe it to be true, are we devoting sufficient time to this real quick? So what I've got here is some handy-dandy tape measure. 
And we're rolling this sucker out to 14 feet. That's 168 inches. How many hours are there in a week? Yes. 168. The answer is not Jesus at this point. There's 168 hours in our week. My question is, how much of this are we spending in God's work? Now, for some people, it's just Sunday morning. So if Brent's preaching, you're getting about this much. And if I'm preaching, it's a little bit more, right? <laughs> Maybe a lot more. <laughs> but, okay, so let's say 45 minutes on average. Is that sufficient? Do you think? Okay. Now, there's some people that say, all right, well, I've I got my 15 minutes a day. Cool. Great. I did the math. All right. The point of this is I'm not going to tell you how many hours, okay? I'm not going to tell you this percentage or that. Um, the Bible doesn't even tell us that. And I understand how utterly chaotic our lives are. Everyone's working, running children everywhere, ball practice. We got work. We got school. We, we get sick. We got errands to do. I mean, I, mean, I, I did the math. I mean, you, you, for most people, you had a normal work week and the commute and some sleeping. You're already at 100. You had a couple of children getting sick and a doctor's appointment and, and something you didn't, you didn't realize and this or that. And, I mean, it starts shrinking pretty, pretty dramatically, pretty, pretty quickly. So my question is, how much is enough? How much of this measuring tape is enough? And again, I don't know, thank you. I don't know what that exact number is. But what if we, we framed it this way? What if it's, it should be enough that I can meditate on it day and night? All right, so Psalm 1 says, Blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord and, and meditates on it day and night. It doesn't mean to read it all the time. What it means is to be getting enough content so that God and the things of God are at the forefront of your mind continuously. Okay? It means spending enough time and getting enough content that it actually starts influencing how I filter the world. Right? So I can start, so it becomes a lens by, I start critiquing, and I mean that in a positive way. So I start like, whoa, I don't know, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's good. So it becomes a filtering lens, and it should be enough that it actually starts changing how we talk, how we, how we communicate, how we, what we do, our behavior, our actions. So my question is, I wonder how much Bible time you need for all of that to happen. A sermon? daily devotional verse? Um, how much is enough? I mean, or how much is at least sufficient? And it should be enough that it, we are ready to do combat. So, I mean, here's, here's what I know is true. We're driving, and in all this, let's like, say going to work, uh, the world is constantly streaming its content into us. So you're driving, here comes the, the commercial on the radio, right? And you're driving, and here comes the billboard. Who knows what's on that billboard, right? Okay, and then there's the lyrics from the song. And then you're thinking about the scene from the movie. And then you go to the grocery store, to the worst place on the planet, where it's just magazines, 
right? And it's just evangelizing sin is what it's doing. They're tracks for sin, uh, you know, vanity and lust and et cetera. Right? That's, that's all they, and so all that content is easily, easily downloadable into our heart. It's constantly streaming, and I mean, our hearts will download it just like that unless we preload better content. And the, and the thing is, we have to always be reloading the content. So those things, those images, those thoughts, those philosophies, those teachings, the things of the world, our sinful desires, our selfishness, all of that is like a virus, right? And it's like a virus that was designed by some computer hacker whose sole purpose is to, to do some uh, identity theft. And what's interesting is that in Ephesians chapter 6, the uh, Apostle Paul says that there is a devil, and that devil has some schemes. And let me tell you that the devil is nothing more than a spiritual hacker. And his lies are the virus. And his sole purpose is to come into your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, is to steal or rob your identity, to do some identity theft. So how do we counteract that? Well, Ephesians 6, chapter, yeah, chapter 6, Ephesians, Paul says... We have to embrace, we have to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So basically, and I hope this isn't too cheesy, but at least it will be memorable, God's Word is like our antivirus protection, right? It's, it's what protects us from identity theft. As we spend time in the Bible, it, it safeguards this freedom that we have in Christ. It helps us to abound in grace and help us to abound in joy so that we may live for the glory of the God who made the heavens. It's combat. How about this one? Uh, a guy's a breeder and a trainer of police dogs. And uh, he's good. He knows what he's doing. And one day the police chief comes up to him and says, you know what, we got to get, get a new dog for our department. And he's looking around, and there's like two dogs that are just total studs. You know, they're, they're, the, they're, a, they're the alphas in the lot. And he asked, he said, tell me about those dogs. I said, well, they're brothers. Same mom, same dad, same litter. Is that right for dogs? Litter? Okay. And um, they've had the, they, they weigh the same thing. They've had the same training. they had the same diet. And the police chief says, if those two got in a scrap, who would win? And the guy's like, I don't know. And he thought, and he said, but I can make it to where one wins and one loses. And the police chief's like, well, how? I'll feed one and not feed the other. I'll strengthen one, weaken the other. If you are a follower of Jesus, the reality is that in your heart there is a battle that is raging. And on one side, there's this armor, the army that has lined up, and it is all about the cause of freedom, right? Like, that's what it's fighting for. Like, I want Jesus, and I want joy, and I want all the promises of God, right? And I'm like, yeah. And then there's this other part in us that lines up on the other side and says, I want me, and I want what I want, and I want stuff, and I want my sin, and I want to scratch every itch. And those are formidable, formidable armies inside of us. And we have a choice. We get to decide which one wins each and every day. By feeding one and not the other. This is feeding. This is feeding. It is nourishing that cause of freedom, for freedom in our hearts. 
And we strengthen that side. And if we neglect it, by default, the other side is what gets strengthened because the world is constantly streaming itself to that side. So how much Bible is enough? I guess it all depends on how free do you want to be. How much joy do you want? How many mistakes do you want to avoid? How much do you want to enjoy the presence of God each and every day? How much do you just want to abide in his love each and every day? How much do you want to live for his glory and shine his light and, and do good in this world that has eternal value, that's meaningful, that's actually helpful? You know, so here we are in Psalm 19, and it begins with the heavens declare the glory of God, and then we move into like talking about Scripture, and Scripture declares the glory of God, right? The, the, the glorious grace of God. And folks, let me tell you that there's one other thing that actually does it even more. And that's the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus. Jesus is the very exact radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the word of God, John chapter 1. And Jesus is our access to the grace of God. Jesus is God. He is the all-powerful creator. Those trillions upon trillions of stars, guess who did that? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus did that. And here, what should drive us to our knees more than the beautiful expanse of the heavens is that the creator would die for us. That's brilliance, right? That's beauty. That God left heaven, came to earth, and the giver of life descended into death that by his grace and by through faith in him we may receive life and not just any life folks Jesus calls it abundant life he calls it eternal life and and by embracing that gospel we are secured a seat at the table of Jesus forever and ever and ever that's not just grace that's glorious glorious grace and how do we respond to that how should we respond to that message the last verse let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer and what he is saying there real quick is this that the way to respond to the glory of god and the grace of god is to just submit our lives to God. Like, may my speaking, like it's submitting my speech to God. It, when he says the meditation of my heart, he's talking about his character. May, may my character, my in, inner thoughts that motivate and drive everything, why I do what I do and how I do it, may my heart, may it come out in my words, may it come out in my actions. Lord, may I please be acceptable to you who have already accepted me. It's not earning salvation. It's living it out. It's working it out. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, where he says, now we make it our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. That's the response. That's the response. May, I, may our words, which is what the world needs to hear, 
be words of grace and of glory. And may our character, which is what the world needs to see, be full of grace and glory. And to do all of that, to enjoy all of that, to grow in all of that, we must dedicate our lives to the study of God's word, which in essence is a dedication of our lives to the, to the feet of Jesus, underneath, underneath the weight of his greatness, forever and ever and ever to the glory of Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to give everyone an opportunity just to respond privately to the Lord. And if today is the day that you need to accept the gospel for the first time, I ask that you just give your heart to the Lord. Just let him into your life. Give your life over to him. Maybe you realize that you haven't been spending enough time in Scripture and, and partaking of God's Word, so you, you need to repent of that. And just, It's okay. God loves you. God loves you. Repent and now commit yourself to that life where you schedule it in your day. Maybe you've been ignoring God's daily grace in your life and you just need to embrace it and walk by it. Maybe you realize that you're just not living for the glory of God and again, repent and God loves you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Just do your business with the Lord right now over the next minute. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'm just going to ask if there's anyone in this room who feel like this is the moment that they need to accept the gospel and give their lives over to Jesus, I just ask, just would you raise your hand? Okay. If you're someone who acknowledges that you're not giving enough time to God's precious word and you want to commit to doing so, would you raise your hand? Okay. Lord, Father, I pray for these folks, Lord. You know their hearts. I pray for your kindness upon them. I ask that you would challenge and convict and that you would uh, comfort and Lord I thank you for any and all decisions made this morning commitments Lord I pray that you would strengthen those commitments that you would help them to live that out Lord Lord we, we praise you for Jesus and the gospel we, we praise you for your glory Lord to you it belongs every bit of it all of it Lord this world belongs to you. Our lives belong to you, Lord. We serve you. Help us 
to be better servants that all of us, Lord, will one day hear those words we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that gives us our hope that we will spend forever and eternity by your side, being showered and comforted by your grace, by your love, and by your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and just continue to respond and worship the Lord.